welcome everyone. We are back uh, at our next episode of my podcast. And I want to con uh, thank you for continuing to listen. And I hope that these episodes are helpful to you as a Navy parent. Today, I have the honor of having a very special guest with me. Uh, she was my lifeline during plebe summer and my security blanket through plebe year. And she is the person that I turn to the most to get advice when things get tough. So she has really been a blessing to me in my life. And I couldn't imagine being a Navy parent without her. And that person is Elaine Bry. Elaine Bry, thank you for being with me. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And if you can just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your family, because your experience and your knowledge are so far and so wide. Um, and you have so much to share and, and to wisdom to give us to guide on our journey. So thank you. Welcome and please introduce yourself. Well, thank you for such kind words. Uh, you just really touched my heart and um, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. So my journey as a Naval Academy parent began the summer of 2001 when my eldest son began his plebe year. Subsequently, as we all know, our whole world was rocked as military parents when we moved from a time of peace to a time of war, which started on 9-11. And as I tell the story of my baptism, I guess, into the reality of what his choices led to, it all began on 9-11. 9-11 also resulted in my next two children choosing to serve and attend the Naval Academy. And also my youngest son who went a different path through Army ROTC. So I have three Naval Academy graduates, 05, 07, 09. And then my Army son was commissioned in 2012. I also have two nephews that are class of 15 and 17. And so I joke that between the period of 2001 and 2017, there was only one year when I didn't have a family member or extended family member who was a midshipman. Now my children are all still serving. My oldest son became a Marine pilot and he is currently now flying as an aggressor pilot with a Russian name tag. Um, my next son became a Naval flight officer and our daughter ended up cross commissioning to the Air Force. She did an exchange at the Air Force and was trying to pursue aviation and the different medical standards there. And she ended up cross commissioning. She is now working in the Space Command. And then our Army son is a Chinook helicopter pilot. My military experience as a mom, certainly I spent a lot of years around the Naval Academy, and now my kids have completed 15 deployments with one more on the horizon sometime next spring. That's my background. How I got to know you and so many Naval Academy parents also started that summer of 2001. And in those days, we didn't have Facebook. We had a listserv. 
And I had grown up in the military. My parents were both in the Army. I had completed two years of, of Air Force ROTC and had some experience with the military. And there were so many parents who were just kind of lost in the whole process. And so I would just send messages to the listserv. And as you can imagine, after 9-11, the intensity of the need to know and the need for encouragement and support increased. And so I kind of evolved. Um, I was actually asked to be the plea moderator, plea representative on the parents listserv. And so I began writing a series of informative and supportive, encouraging posts. And that's where it all began. Thank you, Elaine. That is uh, just so impressive. And I just can't thank you and your family enough for your service, not only out standing out in the gap to keep us safe, but also yours um, in guiding so many parents through navigating this Navy journey. And I was one of your students in one of the plea pages for the class of 17, and then again for the class of 20. So I know how invaluable your advice has been. You also wrote a book called Be Safe, Love Mom. And every person that I speak with, just it, it just touches their heart because it's the stories are so heartfelt and it's just so true. And it's so easy for military parents to relate to your book. And it's such an accurate portrayal of what being a military mom with children and family members that are deployed is all about. What inspired you to write your book and tell about your journey? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, over the years, I probably wrote thousands of messages. And, and then when Facebook came on the horizon, was a founder of the USNA Parents Facebook group. And I had people encouraging me over and over again to write a book. And originally I thought, well, maybe I'll write about the Naval Academy experience. But by then I had children that were actively deployed and there was this whole world of military parents of all ranks dealing with the stresses and challenges of being a military parent. And at the same time, there was a parent on the group who contacted me who had connections with a, a publishing company. And he said, I want you to reach out to them. I want them to know about you. And I always think it's somewhat miraculous. People try so hard to get a book published. And for me, they basically came to me after they heard my experiences and saw some of my writings and asked me to write a book that would meet the needs of military parents. And in not in the traditional way, there's a lot of nuts and bolts resources out there. You can go on to the Department of Defense website and find out a lot of information, but I wanted to focus on the emotional journey. And yeah. I also really wanted to reinforce that we have a responsibility to be strong on the home front, that I always think of the story, my, my son, my Marine wrote an essay once about the 300 and in the war with, with when Sparta was involved, they chose the 300 warriors, not for their bravery and not for their physical prowess, 
but they chose them based on the strength of their mothers and their wives. Because if they fell, but there was strong family supporting them from at home, the nation would still stand. And so I wrote it with a twofold purpose to reinforce the feelings, to give parents the tools that they need to deal with some of the challenges that we face, but also to remind them what their job is and what their role is. And it's not to stand at home, wringing your hands and crying into your pillow, but figure out how you can manage to support your sons and daughters in the vocation that they've chosen the best way possible. Those words are so true, Elaine, and I know that you um, have been such a big influence for me as a military parent. I attended your uh, military mom retreat, which is where I met Kathleen, and, and we've since become really good friends. She's my battle buddy. She stood by my side, as well as you have in, in many occasions. And my oldest mid, now officer, when he was deployed, I happened to attend your military retreat, your military mom retreat before, just before he was deployed. It was such an invaluable experience. First, to know that I'm not alone because there were other moms there that were going through similar things, that we all felt the same things, that we all had the same fears. But you gave us tools that we could use when we returned home to equip ourselves to work through the deployment, as you said, to stand strong and support our children in their vocation. And I have found them especially useful, not only as my oldest was deployed, but now as my younger two are going through their own journeys, whether it's the academy or in their service selection or, or wherever they are. So I wanted to ask you, how did you kind of envision this place where you could equip military moms, because that's pretty much all you've done as long as I've known you is equip military parents, but specifically military moms and to equip them with the tools that they need. How, how did that come about? I just saw that there were so many people who struggled with the same challenges. And even through my website and my Facebook page, there are a lot of groups that are very, of military parents, and a lot of them focus on the negative. And I'm not going to diminish that. I am not going to diminish that we have worries, we have grief, we have an adjustment in our mindset to letting go. And people say, oh, well, you need to let go. You don't need to let go once. You need to let go constantly. Yes. Partly, it's just part of them becoming an adult. But secondly, when we put our aura of control over our children, we communicate something to them that says, you can't handle this on your own. And that is not a message that I need to communicate to my son when he's flying 600 miles an hour a foot from another aircraft. The message I need to communicate to him is, I think you're the best dang pilot in the Marine Corps. That part of raising adults is learning, kind of like in the Venn diagram, learning when our control ceases and it pulls away and they start making their own decisions. And that is really hard 
especially if you're coping with the other life changes that come with if you're now having an empty nest or the things that we deal with as we get older. We have aging parents, we have all kinds of things. So you have that on top of the fear of your children, something happening to them. And so that is real. But to focus just on that part of it, just on the grief that things will never be the same, I think hamstrings you as a person for how you're going to live your life with passion and purpose going forward. And so I love doing the in-person retreats. It was so amazing to be able to do that. Obviously, COVID has changed all of that and the demands of life. But as you recall, we would start with acknowledging what are we afraid of? What are we worried about? What are the struggles? And then, okay, so how am I going to deal with those challenges? And one of my favorite exercises is I, I gave you uh, scissors and magazines and I yeah. said, you need to create, you need to create a poster of what brings you joy. And here's the rules. It can have nothing to do with your family. Because if, if you're anything like me, I devoted myself to my children and my family and a lot of how I spent my time and where I got my satisfaction and joy was from my family. And now as they're moving on into their own bubble of, you know, adulthood, I'm obviously very proud of them. We used to drive them in the car four times a day, right? We knew what yeah. was going on. Now yeah. there's times when we don't talk to them for weeks on end. Yeah. And so what are the ways that you can give yourself tools to manage that change? And then when the hard times come, when plebe summer comes and you don't get to speak with them and you don't know what's going on or when they deploy mm. or when they're in really difficult training, you pull out those tools and you have a way to manage and to cope. So that's, that's the big idea about that. And there are many people who get stuck in that beginning of grieving, not being the most important person in their life. If we're a mom, for a long time, we are the most important person. And then that changes. And the military accelerates that process. So do you fight that or do you find your pathway to still be that touch pad, that touchstone for them, but to, to encourage them to be all their best? That is so true. And I know personally for, for me and for my family, the tools that you uh, shared with me have helped me to cope. In that in in those deployments in those difficult times in everyday life to become more productive that's true I remember the poster uh, exercise and I still have that poster and I look at it <laughs> I need to remember but the other one of the other things you did is uh, you had us go to to a river and by the way you're ranch is so just gorgeous and so peaceful but we went to the river we chose x number of stones I don't remember at this juncture what it was I have like four of them and on either side we had to write 
our fears and then something about the opposite of that fear. So that, because I have it where I turn it over, like is a fear. And then on the other side is something that counteracts that fear. And I can't tell you how many times I have reached for those stones as my kids have um, mm. just progressed through their journey. That. That's great to hear. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for equipping us in more than one way. And I hope that uh, you're able to continue to do that in the future because it was uh, very valuable. My next question for you is looking back over your career as a USNA mom with three midshipmen coming through, what were some things that you wished you knew before you became a USNA mom? The one thing I always think about is that you're in the grocery store checkout line and and I had four kids so I, my cart is overflowing with kids and they're reaching for the gum and they're reaching for the candy and somebody wets their pants and then the older woman looking at you and smiling and say you're going to miss this <laughs> and and that's what from my perspective now I certainly remember that angst of the first 2 weeks until until I got the first letter and got the first phone call and the times where they were so bogged down with how difficult it was and what hard work it was and all the challenges. But for me now, looking back on those years, those were the golden years where I didn't have to worry about them being in harm's way, where they were finding their path and how to grow and grow into what they had chosen to become and the camaraderie with parents. So those are all things that I really value now uh, because once they get on active duty, you have a very small window into their lives, what they're doing, who they spend time with. It just all changes because of the nature of the job. Those are the things that at the time I wished that I knew that I was really worried and I didn't need to merely be that worried <laughs> that it was going to, it was part of the bigger picture. And for example, I know there's been a whole lot of hoopla in the last year about switching companies and all those things. And I just want to say, you think when they're going, they're going to to major in aeronautical engineering or political science or whatever it is. But what the big lessons are is how to operate in the military, how to operate in a big, big organization, how to adapt and change and get along with all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to focus on those visible lessons But the bigger instruction is much more than that. And it's funny, I think about, for example, I was always the family medical expert. I have a medical background. I worked in a hospital laboratory. I always took care of the medical stuff. And the first time my kids got sick at the academy, if I could have beamed myself up and (laughs) deposited myself in that office with them, it just about killed me. Not to be able to, you know, did you ask this? You know, I learned it's about coaching them or helping them to know, okay, this is when I need to go and be seen. These are the questions I need to ask. 
And it's that way with everything, roommate issues. It's not, oh, that terrible other, you know, person. It's okay, how do you learn to navigate in these different situations? And in terms of companies changing, guess what? There's hardly any time in the military. The only time you all go together is if it's a deployment where you all go together. Otherwise, you're moving into new squadrons, you're moving into new situations. When my daughter deployed to Afghanistan, she was by herself. She wasn't with somebody. So the idea that you should be guaranteed a roommate for four years, that's not military life. Right. And so why not learn to adjust and adapt and get good at dealing with all that change when you're in a learning environment? On and the so other part of that is, is the expectation knowing that no matter they have very few times once they become commissioned where they're not going to be responsible for other people mm -hmm. when they're still in training they're still only responsible for themselves but yeah. very quickly they become responsible for enlisted sailors or marines and so let's make our mistakes or let's learn when we're in that environment you don't think there's enough food they have a chain of command to deal with situations. It's not our job as parents to get involved with those kind of situations. They have a, a way to deal with things, just like those of us who have worked in all kinds of different organizations. We don't expect our parents to come in and say, well, you know, she didn't get her so many hours off or whatever. It can be hard, especially if you were a super involved parent to mm -hmm. let go of that. But if you look at it in terms of, am I getting in the way of that learning? Then maybe that helps you pull back a little bit and become an advisor and a coach if they ask. That's so true. And I've gone through several situations with my kids when they were mids where I had to kind of do what you said, kind of pull back, you know, rein my mom, mama bear feelings in and kind of think through things in a reasonable way and, and coach them through it. Well, it, for example, when my son was a plebe, he was dehydrated and, 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 and just exhaustion because there's so much going on in plebe summer. And so I guess one morning he woke up and he was dizzy and falling all over the place. So he said he had to climb, you know, cling to the wall as he was walking because he was toppling over. I asked him, what did you do? And, and he said, well, I went to my uh, uh, squad leader and then they sent me to medical and they gave me, I, I think they told me to hydrate and they gave me a, 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 an SIQ, a sick and quarters chit. And he slept 17 hours. <laughs> so, so after that, mm -hmm. he, he was much better. And the same thing with, with roommate issues and such, where really, I think our job transcends being a hands-on parent. And what I'd like to say is that we coach them to become their own advocates so that they can then go and exactly. advocate for themselves because we are out of that chain of command. We can't call the principal. We can't call the teacher. Now they have to do it themselves within their own chain of command. So we can coach them on how to better advocate for themselves, but we're kind of out of it. Yes, exactly. And the other, the other flip side of that is part of the realization that what comes with military life will be 
distance, it will be less communication. There are all kinds of factors that affect that. And so I think about those young 18 year olds who head off to basic training and their moms have 12 weeks to kind of go from, you know, this is my kid to they're off. And especially during the height of the war on terror, they would find themselves at war within three months of the day they took their oath. And I always felt like it's a gift to an yeah. academy parent that you have that much more time to prepare and get used to the fact that it's not going to be the same as when you had them under your roof and you're not going to communicate as much. And, and as they get older, I mean, there's all kinds of things that my kids can't tell me. Yes. And yeah, that's a big one. That's part of the reality. Yes. That's yes. I mean, I, I, one of my sons had a deployment. I didn't even know where he was for six months. Uh, yeah. I, so yeah. that's all part of this adjustment. As I said, there is an element of grief with that, but that's also one of the reasons why I also say, find what gives you joy, find things that charge your batteries that are outside of your kids. And the other thing is a lot of us, we have very capable kids. We come with the idea, you know, that they're striving to be the best. And once they get to the military, yes, they're still striving to be the best, but it's not in the same competitive way that maybe in high school, it's not the same. It's you're part of a team and everybody is trying to work at their best levels, but be part of the team. That's also an adjustment. And some people don't make that switch. My kids all say they have no memories of I-Day. It's completely <laughs> a, a blank. And they've been through, I mean, they've been through survival training. They've been through all kinds. They've been in war zones. And that's still one of the worst days of their lives because everything, your rug is pulled out from underneath them. Well, in a sense, it's pulled out from underneath us too. Yes, it is. They have the benefit of being, being there together and molding into a group where we have to find our bearings. But yes. what kind of military parent do you want to be? That's the question. Do you want to be that strong person on the home front that can survive through the separations and asking them to call and text every day is not reasonable. <laughs> we have to give up some of those things. Yeah. Well, and they don't have the time. There are many parents that say, no, the Academy did not prepare me to be a fleet or Marine Corps parent, which is true because we don't really go through everything, but it does train us, like you were saying, to get used to not hearing from our kids all the time for them to be busy mm -hmm. and not necessarily make us the center of their lives, which they shouldn't be because now they're adults and to be able to adapt to all of that and find ways of coping. So I think that your, your message is so valuable that we, and I hadn't thought about it that way, that the men and women that enlist literally out of boot camp, they go to their duty station and they may be gone to their deployment. We have a gift mm -hmm. of four years to get used to that. 
So thank mm-hmm. you for that, because that for me uh, right now, it, it's a big light bulb moment. Speaking of light bulb moments, and I still think you're just awesome for this, but at, at one point in your book, you talk about how your entire family was deployed somewhere in the Middle East, and you decided to volunteer to teach in Afghanistan. And I think you went, and you can correct me, but you went with a nonprofit and you taught at a girl's Mm -hmm. school in Afghanistan. You wanted to relate to and understand what your family was facing and kind of see the environment that they were all in. And, And I find that that is just so so warrior mom. It takes so much courage. (laughs) What gave you the idea to volunteer to teach halfway around the world in a war zone? And what did you learn from that experience? Well, my husband had taken a job um, directing a civilian airline in Afghanistan, and he had been there for two years. And the summer after my youngest son had graduated and he was uh, st- had started off in college, I went to Afghanistan for a month. For all the negative that we hear, it is a very captivating country. But what really struck me was the level of poverty and the difficulty in accessing education for so many young people. And in the end of the day, what makes the difference between countries that are free and countries that struggle with so much strife. And I truly believe it's education. And we were out in the countryside. There were young children, three years old, that were basically begging. And I just thought, how do you make a difference? I mean, I do believe that our children, while they're warriors, they're also peacekeepers. But how do we get peace? And much of the time, nations that are wrecked by war, it is a place where people do not feel opportunity and don't have an education. And I literally felt a calling. Everybody thought I was nuts. Every, my husband didn't because he was already there and he had already met so many people. But I ended up getting a job in the only um, English-speaking international school in Kabul, and I spent a year there in a, on a compound. Um, we did get to leave when security was okay. It was a very full of contrast. I taught high school and junior high, and my students were just in many ways like the typical student. But on the other hand, many of them had families that had been killed in the 30 years of war. We had guards. There were bombings outside the school. We had evacuation plans. So you could see the impact of war. But I also had Afghan fathers come for conferences and cry and thank me for being there. Because at the end of the day, Most parents in the world want their children to have good lives and opportunity. I'm really glad that I did it. I have students that I am still in touch with. On the other hand, it's also very heartbreaking, especially the current situation now. It's just really heartbreaking, but it also, I was able to go to the American base, Camp Eggers for a chapel 
hopefully once a week if we could travel and um, got to meet many service members who were deployed there and was able to support the chaplain. And war is hell. There are just terrible things that happen. I also got a picture of deployment in that there's a there's a loneliness that comes with deployment that is hard to describe. And there's an exhaustion of trying to do all your communication with the people you care about long distance. It was a really good way for me to have a better understanding of why I didn't hear more from my kids when they were deployed. You get just tired and every day feels the same. There's no breaks, whether you're in a hot zone or not. And so it was really, it was very valuable time for me. And right now my heart breaks because I don't know what will happen there, but I did what I could in my little small spheres. I think that's wonderful. And I commend you for having the courage to do that because I've thought about going to volunteer uh, as a teacher, but I haven't taken the action yet. So I commend you for not only thinking it, but actually going through with it and doing it and, and to be able to gain that insight. I spent some time with my um, oldest on his ship. I talked about this sometime before I was able to go on his ship for a tiger, tiger cruise when they're returning from deployment. We were standing in line for lunch and I remember him saying, oh, it must be Tuesday because they're serving tacos and it's taco Tuesday. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I don't know what day it is. One day just kind of melds into the other and you lose track of time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the only way I know what day of the week it is, is by what's being served because they serve the same thing on that certain day. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. that, that helped to give me some insight and just speaking to his junior officers that were there. And, and it is, it's, it's fatiguing. It, they don't really have a break. There's nowhere for them to go, but where they are, even if they're not on watch, they're still on the ship or they're still on the base. So there's mm -hmm. really nowhere for them mm -hmm. to go. Kind of switching gears a little bit. What is your favorite memory? Kind of backtracking toward the Naval Academy. What is your favorite memory of being a USNA mom? I think that there is just, first of all, when when you see your kids progressing in their goals and what they want to do. And my oldest son ran Navy track and I'm thinking about an army Navy track meet when we had those of us parents who could make it to the meets, we had developed such kind of, we were our own little team. We'd sit there on the side with our coolers full of, chicken and drinks and brownies and it was such a special time and at this one army navy track meet it was all down to the final four by four and my son was running on it and they were ahead of us and at the very end navy passed the army runner and somebody took a picture of the stands and you could see the navy fans all arms going up and the Army fans' arms going down as it became clear that Navy had won the track meet. And I thought that was just a kind of a capsulated Disney moment of what it was like 
to see not only my son succeeding, but the team succeeding, but we were all kind of there together. And in life, we don't have a lot of times and it feels like anymore where we can gather and we've got a shared commitment and we have this, I call it the sisterhood of moms. And, and that was one of my most favorite memories. In fact, it's probably coming to the fore a little bit more because I've included to, to the Olympic track because it reminds me of those days when it was just so fun to be able to see them all bonded together and working toward that goal and to be part of it. And um, there are a lot of other, I mean, my daughter's commissioning when both her brothers could be there, which was a miracle. There are a lot of really special times, really great times with other parents, getting to know so many different parents with such diverse backgrounds, but we all had that shared goal. Those are really special memories, and I do miss that. I guess that's why we still tune into the Army-Navy game, and it just brings back those times of camaraderie. And I have gotten to go to a couple of my kids' reunions. You know, what happens is you get invited as the babysitter, <laughs> so you, you get to be part of it. And those are, those are really um, fun, too, like looking at these young people that you remember them as plebes and now they're just doing amazing things and so those are really fond memories which is why I always said to people if you can go go and I know this past year parents have felt so left out of so many things but it's not over you know there's still opportunities and parents clubs I mean we had such good times even, you know, I was living in Ohio then gathering together. So there isn't like one favorite, but it's all about togetherness that I, I guess that I think is so special. I agree with you completely. There's just something about connections with our kids, mm -hmm. between our kids and their friends, between us as parents and their friends, and between us as parents in general and so much positive can be gained from that. So the Naval Academy and service academies in general do a great job of molding and developing Naval officers. And we've been talking a lot about that and about the process and kind of keeping the big picture in mind. As our children grow into their role as Naval officers and commission, can you give us some tips or some wisdom about ways that parents can kind of stay out of the way but still be remain supportive for their midshipmen well i think first of all follow their lead and if they're asking for you to come and help them move which we we're like professionals at that that's our job we're like <laughs> my husband drives the diddy truck and those are the kind of things where if we can provide support we will that you ask us, we'll be there if we can. I see a lot of people complaining because they want to go visit and their kid doesn't want them to. Well, there's a reason. I know my children in their careers, normally it's a 10 to 12 hour day. They work really hard. And I, I have parents who complain, have complained to me about, you know, they don't want me to come visit. They, this is how hard they're working. And it's like, 
this is how hard they work. I mean, I think about when my son was on his sea tour, he was doing watch every so many hours, but he also was the admin officer. So he had all his paperwork. He was lucky to get four hours of sleep a day because of those responsibilities. If they have an eight hour day, that's a blessing. And so the expectations that, oh, well, you know, they're based in this cool place and we can go and visit and they have time. It's not the typical job. And so changing your expectations is a big one, I think, because if they're deploying, only go if you're invited. And only go to homecomings if you're invited, especially if they're married, because there's a lot of dynamics at play there. And sometimes you're in the way. I, first of all, I grew up in a military family. I know what it was like when my dad was leaving and coming home. And while there's a lot of joy when they come home, there's also a lot of adjustment. And so don't insert yourself. And I say both people have to invite you, <laughs> the husband and the wife, because, uh, you know, like when my kids are deploying, I'd go maybe a month before if they wanted me, but I didn't want to be there for that final goodbye. It's too hard when they were coming home. If you want me there, I'll be there. But otherwise, get your bearings underneath you for a while. Those are some of my rules that I use to make things go more smoothly. I mean, I have, I know of situations where baby was born while dad was gone and his parents insisted they be at the homecoming. And to me, if they ask you not to come, that's a special moment that you don't really have the right to insert yourself into. And I know there are people that disagree with me, obviously, because they do that, but I also see a hard a lot of discord that comes with that. And knowing 30 days leave sounds like a lot, not when you count weekends, all of a sudden those days become precious. It's just respecting boundaries. They're an adult now, and I think that's important. And also knowing that the other beautiful thing about a service academy is I know there's always the turmoil of summer training. And you don't know where they're going to be. But you know they're going to have Thanksgiving and you know they're going to have spring break and you know they're going to have Christmas. And that all goes down by the wayside once they're active duty. So those times you can count on them to be home, those don't really happen anymore. Yes, if leave works out and everything works out, that's great. So you just have to become more flexible and lower your expectations. And that is hard to hear. It is hard. It is hard to hear. And I just recently went through that where we wanted to visit our oldest where he's currently stationed and, and he dissuaded us from it because he said, I'm busy. I I have, I have 12 hour watches and then I have to do this, that, and the other. And, And basically it's exactly what you said. If he gets four hours of sleep a night, the rest of his day is mm-hmm. filled with work. And then we need help moving. Well, we're there because they're asking us to come. Whenever they ask us to come, we drop everything and we are there. I think it's very helpful to kind of start to develop that that mindset, especially with having that perspective of four years to train for it, because it, it does change. And when they come home, 
the dynamics are so different. I, I think uh, my husband, he wasn't in the service, but he was working overseas for almost two years. And when he would leave, we would kind of become this pod that became so efficient with the kids and I, and we each had our jobs. And then when he would come home to visit, all of a sudden there was this wrench in, the, in, in all the cogs and everything came to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. And he would say, I feel like when I'm here, I'm in the way. And I'm like, well, hon, we've become this well-oiled machine and you just haven't been a part of it. So we're going to have to work through how to kind of incorporate you again and, and become a family of five instead of a family of four. And that gave me a lot of insight into what some of the military families um, go through. And so I, I understand what you're saying that you, it, it is important to give time for, for adjustment and, and things to happen. It's the way it is. I want to thank you for your time, Elaine. And before I forget, because I'd, I'd like to ask you to wrap up with advice that you would give to plea parents, to firsty parents, and to in-between parents about specifically for their journey. So as firsty parents, as they prepare to go out in the fleet, plea parents, as they get ready to start the act year. But before I do that, can you tell us about your uh, website and about your book so that if anybody's interested in, in looking those up, they're able to do so? Yeah, my website is besafelovemom.com and there's links on there. The, my book is on all major online booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, anything that sells books online. And then I have started a podcast, Be Safe, Love, Mom, What Holds Us Together. And so that's been been ongoing now since last spring. I have a Facebook page and an Instagram where it's really all about encouragement and support. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm about. And when I think about advice for plea parents, I hate to say, let go because that's what people always say. And it's like, well, how do, how do you do that? And so don't sweat the small stuff, learn to listen, learn to encourage them, support them, and then let it go out the other ear. Cause they are going to have all kinds of challenges. This, the plebe year is a year where everything is hard. And I use the analogy of the backpack when they complain to you or they're worried about something. And if you put that as a rock in your backpack, pretty soon you're going to be carrying such a weight and a load of worry. And with my kids, they, I learned very quickly, they would call me and they would be all upset about something. And I carried that around with me. And then two or three weeks later, I'd say, well, whatever happened with, they're like, I don't even remember that. So just remember that you let it just flow through, you know, you can be encouraging, but realize that you're the one that they're going to vent to. And you're the one that is going to be the sounding board, but don't take it to heart. And especially don't think you can do anything about it because if you even tried to, what would you be doing? You'd be short circuiting what we talked about, how they need to learn to work through all these things themselves. As they continue on the academy journey, if you have opportunities to go and you're welcome to be there given world circumstances, if you have a chance to to go to football games or whatever, 
go. But I always went with the understanding I was going more to see the other parents than really my kid because they didn't have time for me. So, you know, I was lucky if I could take them to lunch or dinner. And so if you understand that, then that makes a lot of conflict go away. And finally, for the firsties, you know, it's such an exciting time and they've been through so much and they've just, you know, accomplished so much. But it's also a time of loss because those good friends, those people that they bonded with for all those years, now they're all getting scattered. And there is a reason why in blue and gold, it talks about being scattered. And, and they're also, even though they've accomplished this great goal, they're all starting something really hard again at the bottom. They're going to go to sub school or they're going to be working on getting their SWO certifications or flight school or whatever. And so we're like, we've crossed this one mountain and oh, there is Everest ahead of us. So have joy in that accomplishment, but know that it's not going to get easier. And they're just so much more accomplished and they've been through that hard stuff so they can tackle those next challenges in a better way. And obviously nothing takes away the pride, the pride that, you know, they were working so hard to become their best and that they've also made a choice to serve, which we can never diminish that. Thank you so much for uh, valuable wisdom. I've just been, as you speak, I'm just thinking of different examples or different things in my mind that have happened with my kids exactly the way you're describing. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. I can't thank you enough for what you've been to me and to my family through this journey and continue to be. Uh, and there are times that I'll just message you out of the blue <laughs> because I'm like, where do I turn? Oh, Elaine. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being there and, and just thank you for everything that you do for parents to equip them. And of course, thank you for your family, for, for their tremendous service and for your service. And something that I learned from you is when a service member serves or family serves as well. And that is so true. And the other thing I learned from you is to embrace the suck. Just <laughs> there are some things that just are not what you would prefer and you just have to accept it and move on. So thank you for those lessons. <laughs> well, I just, the older I get, the more I really realize that you only have a finite amount of energy. Mm. And so I don't really want to spend it on cursing the darkness. <laughs> I just want to get through to morning. And um, that's kind of a good analogy for plebeer too. I know that for our family and for my kids, I know that they treasure their time at the Naval Academy. They treasure their relationships. But as my daughter says, she still has a recurring nightmare that she wakes up and they say, I'm sorry, we know you have four kids, but you didn't take two classes and you need to go back and they don't want to do it again either. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awesome. <laughs> hopefully that's not the case <laughs> thank you so much again elaine and thank you all uh, for tuning in to this podcast i look forward to to being with you again at the next episode and uh, thank you to my special guest elaine bry author of be safe love mom go navy and elaine says beat army yes 